Welcome to Everybody Loves Communism, the leftist theory and history podcast where we do the reading so you don't have to. My name is Jorge Rocha. I'm Jamie Peck. And before we begin, we're going to, you know, we said this on our Twitter page, which is twitter.com slash ELCpod. We said for Valentine's Day, if people signed up to be a Patreon on our Patreon, that we're going to give them a special shout out on the top of the episode. And we're keeping our promise. So special thanks to Devin, Thank Spencer. Thank you, Devin. Thank you, Spencer. Patrick. Thank you, Patrick. And Caroline. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you so much for signing up. And, you know, speaking of which, we just mentioned it. If you support, want to support the show, be sure to subscribe to our Patreon, Patreon at patreon.com slash everybody loves communism. Or if you want to pay just a dollar less, you know, the $6 on Patreon because of the fee that we accrue because it, it take more, you know. Cursed Patreon. capitalists. It's true. So if you want to pay just a little bit less, go to fans.fm slash everybody loves communism. And, you know, if you really like the show, you like what you hear, be sure to give, rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere you get your podcast from. Even if you don't like what you hear, just like be a pal. Give us five stars. Yeah, bro. Don't you like us? Like when was the last time... Look, all I'm going to say is we're providing a service, right? And millennials are very good about this, I find. Regardless of the quality of the service, they tend to tip well and leave five stars. So if you could do that for us, too, that would be great. A friend of mine got sexually assaulted, not assaulted, sorry, sexually harassed at, in an Uber by their driver. And then they left and they still gave five stars. See? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Assault would be different. Harassment. We and we're not going to do any of that stuff. Absolutely to you. not. Not in this podcast. We're just trying to live our lives and spread communism. If you want that, go to you go to Georgeville for podcast. Paul, please censor that out. <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, what do we what do we got this week, Jorge? So, I'm like so out of it right now. Well. What what are we doing? <laughs> what what are we doing? What's going on? Where am I? Wow, we're I don't know where we are. We're we're, we're how, how did I get here? <laughs> how did do I own this fancy car? This 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 house? This is not my beautiful house. No, these are not my shitty cats. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking to you. Got ninety nine problems, and cats are most of them. Wow. Now what we're talking about today is chapter five. Of State and Revolution by Vladimir Lenin. That's right. Title of which is the very exciting title of the economic basis for the withering away of the state. But don't let this fool you. This is probably, at least in my opinion, the best chapter of this book and probably the most important for those of you who, you know, like myself and Jamie and hopefully a lot of you listening at home, how the hell will you get from here to there? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to go from capitalism to communism? Million dollar question. Yeah, and Lenin, to his credit, attempts to do that and gives a you know pretty pretty solid answer, I would say. But you mean, of course, not. It's still it just you know solid answer, but doesn't necessarily mean that that's necessarily the answer. But it's definitely a good a good a good reply response to the question. Yeah, I'd say it's somewhat convincing. Yeah. Um. I like this chapter, like you said, because he really, he does the full Monty. 
You know, he gets away from he he kind of goes on digressions throughout the book, yeah. like the last chapter. I thought it was really annoying. I'm not a lib. I'm not a lib. I'm not an idealist. I'm not an anarchist. Like, what's wrong with an- like he really goes hard on the anarchy. He just like gets distracted by beefs. You know, and for any of us, for any of us that post on Twitter.com, who among us, who amongst us doesn't do that? Yeah, well, I'm not going to put them in my book. I'm going to have an editor <laughs> and my editor is going to be like, hey, Jamie, no one cares about this petty little beef you have with another podcaster. Maybe this part should go. And that's when you say, okay, comrade, gulag it is. <laughs> I mean, we'll see. We'll see how things develop. Wow. Wow, Jamie. Under what conditions I will be writing this book. Wow. I mean, it would be cool to be writing them, to be writing under similar conditions to Lenin on some level, right? Because he, part of his excuse or the excuse that I'm making for him for being so, um, I don't know, uh, unnecessarily long-winded or what have you is that he didn't really have time. He didn't have that much time to edit this book, really polish it up for the final cut because he was fighting the Rev. Yeah. I mean, he wrote it before the Bolshevik revolution occurred, but then he just never got around back to, you know, polishing it up because as we've mentioned before, it, this book got published, I think in after the Bolshevik revolution but it was written before it was before before it happened. So, um, or didn't he write part of it after? No, he, he wrote. He wrote the. I think he wrote the whole thing. At, it was like wrote. I think September and October of nineteen seventeen. Okay, and my he, bad. And then he never like finished. He there was a like you're, you're right. He did write part of it. If I remember correctly, I think it was like a section, like a very small section in chapter two or chapter yeah. three. But that's like such a small thing. Mm. Like, it's because I think when we recorded that episode, I remember I made the intervention that said, like, that section, he he makes a reference to a book that came after yeah. the Bolshevik Revolution. And it's like, what? Did he just t- just predict that happened? Yeah. The immortal signs of Leninism? He was a smart boy. But no, I mean, it's just because he was written after. It's called, it's called editing knew folks. so much. Now, yeah, he could see the future. But, you know, um, so... Center ourselves. We're talking about this because it's you know we're pretty getting pretty close to finishing this section, and you know, unfortunately, because of the material is quite dense. Um, dense, not entirely in reading it. It's it's actually probably the as, as Jamie was mentioning before, quite much better written because there's less digressions. Yeah. But dense in the sense that, um, and it's also clear. The reason we say it's dense is dense in terms of like discussing and analyzing it because. This is like the chapter where he introduces so much new content, like so much new ideas that just like spilled on the paper, written on the paper. And then it's just like, bro, why didn't you talk about this before? And then just like, oh, that's all right. See you guys later. Yeah. Like he finally stops repeating himself. I feel like I repeated myself a lot in the last episode because Lennon repeats himself a lot. Yeah, it's not Jamie. It's not my fault. I'm just dealing with the material at hand. But no, this chapter is this chapter is cool because it's like, all right. You keep saying you want communism. You keep saying you want a stateless, classless society. How do we get from here to there? And he sums it up pretty well, I think, true to his own internal logic. Um, So let's... We we love consistency, folks. Yeah. 
I mean, I still have questions. Don't get me wrong. Don't we we all? Especially when it came time to test out his hypothesis, shall we say, of how you get communism. But um, it, uh, it makes sense. It makes sense on the page. So let's begin. Um, I also, bless you. So part one of chapter five is called presentation of the question by Marx. What question, Jamie? Oh, I don't know. Maybe we'll find out. Let's find out. Um, Also, I want to note that I'm doing the much shorter section in this, uh, in this episode and This was not me slacking off. Jorge actually said, oh, I want to do the evens. You can do the odds, Jamie. So I just want everyone to know that I didn't choose this for myself on purpose. Everyone who's listening, I am, I need help. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what are you doing, man? I need, I need to be released under the oppression of so-called comrade. Jamie Peck. Oh, no. Oh, oh no. I thought you were going to be like, I need help because I love working too much. SOS, Jorge. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. I, I, I yearn for freedom under the, the thumb of Jamie Peck. Oh, I'm canceled. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm making the Mexican do all the work. <laughs> you heard, Listen, you heard it here, folks. First, <laughs> I, I did not say anything. I'm oh, just, it's a call for help. Oh, jeez. No, but... That, it just kind of played out that way because, for unfortunately, section na- numberings aren't. Who could have seen that? You know, just because these number of sections, they're all not going to be equally distributed in terms of words. Yeah, Lenin really should have thought about that when he was writing his chapters. You should have thought about me, okay? You should yeah. have thought about me. Yeah. What about us? What about us, man? Wow. But uh, yeah, I'm sure I'll. I'm sure I'll make up for it later at some point in time um, when I. Have more energy, which is also low energy, low energy, Jamie. I know. I'm sorry. I'm so I like I'm such a bitch. Like, I'm so lucky to be doing this and talking to all of you people and having you listen to me talk about communism. So I'll stop complaining. I live a charmed life. Everything is great. We just, you know, we all get a little tired sometimes, but I'll try to I'll try to keep up the energy. You know, I've got my tea here. So God gives the biggest naps to his sleepy soldiers. Yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> love that. Was that, was that Lennon too? Sure. <laughs> okay. So part one, presentation of the question by Marx. Um, I am going to summarize what Lenin says in this first part here, because it seems summarizable. And then I'm going to throw some quotes at you later. All right. Just blah, that's against the wall, like throwing pasta. Brap, brap. So, okay. So from a comparison of Marx, and he's, he's, he's going into the differences, the alleged differences between Marx and Engels' views alleged. of the state. Um, and then he's going to debunk them. So Wow. So he says, from a comparison of Marx's letter to Brack with Engels's letter to Bebel, both 1875, one might think that they had differing views on the state and that Marx was, shall we say, more of a state guy than Engels, right? Um, oh, and P.S., the letter to Brack is critique of the, is, is now known as critique of the Gotha program, right? Am I getting that right? Yeah. The letter to Babel? Letter, Marx's letter to Brack. 
that yeah that's a critique of the, yeah. Of the program yeah yeah nailed it okay um so angles in this letter to bevel suggested that the word state be dropped entirely when talking about you know whatever Dick Prol kind of workers statey type organization we're going to form in the heat of the rev. Uh, Engels suggested that the word state be dropped and substituted with the word community. Um, We're part of a community, ladies and gentlemen. It's just a community of like-minded crypto miners. Look, we we all saw on the Super Bowl, NFT is the future. Oh my God. We're, listen, I was hoping until the end of the show, but Jamie forced my hand. We are announcing the an NFT. Guess what? ELC is having an NFT. Excuse me? Are you against forward, forward progress, Jamie? Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, dear. I'm going to talk about this later. You know, you know um, sidebar, my boyfriend asked me if there's anything he could do that would make me break up with him immediately. And you want to know what I said? NFT. I was like, if you got really into crypto and NFTs, that might do it. Wowzers. <laughs> so, you know, keep an eye on him for that. Anyway, um, no, different kind of community. Angles, um, yeah, he was like, remember? He was like, yo, bro, it's like so different from a state that we shouldn't even call it a state. We bro, should call it something else entirely. Yo, bro, hit, it, hit it, bro. Trust me, it's different, bro. It's not going to, it's different. Trust me, it's bro. It's built different. So, yeah, Engels even argued that the Paris Commune was, and I believe this is a typo here. This version has some typos because I remember him arguing the Paris Commune was not a state in the proper sense. Listen, I think we can. The trots at Marxist.org are, they did their best in the transcription. (laughs) I'm not one to necessarily give props to Trotskyists, but they did a good job. They did what they could for all the free volunteer labor that they're doing. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but from context clues, I must say, he argued the Paris Commune was not a state in the proper sense, um, but a dictatorship of the proletariat. Marx, on the other hand, seems in places to imply that the state has a place in future communist society, but it is not so. Oh. Lenin says... No. A closer look reveals that Marx and Engels' views on the state were the same. Whoa. And that Marx's quote unquote future state is one in the process of withering away. Boom. So now I'm going to quote Lenin. He says, clearly, there can be no question of specifying the moment of the future withering away. Hmm. The more so since it will obviously be a lengthy progress process. The word obviously is doing so much work in that sentence. It is. And, you know, there are a number of times when Lenin kind of gives his opinion as fact. Um, and this is one of those times. But I mean, that is part of, you know, the whole trick of logic and rhetoric and whatnot. I agree with him, but I too can admit that is doing a lot of work there. Like obviously. It's, it's like, it reminds me of when, like, when Noam Chomsky is presenting his view, that the he himself, Noam Chomsky, has about something, and he's presenting it as common sense. He's like, well, any reasonable person would believe and insert his opinion on something. It's mm-hmm. like, you're like, 
that's like adding like that's doing a lot of weight of like oh any reasonable person well, what who what do who is this class of person yeah i don't know um i feel like he also is sort of calling back to his um kind of straw manny version of the anarchist viewpoint here uh since he's mm. he's he's framed his disagreement with the anarchists already as a matter of the solely uh surrounding the amount of time that it takes to get rid of the state, uh, taking it as a given that there must be some sort of transitional state to begin with and that it can only go away through this gradual kind of withering process. Where the, whereas the anarchist would say, bro, like, if you don't do the state, then there's nothing to wither in the first place. Um, but I do think the disagreement is partially one of time frame, but not entirely. Um, but anyway, I feel like we went over those disagreements pretty well in, in the, last chapter. the last chapter, so I will go on. Uh, so Lennon says, it only seems like Marx and Engels disagree because they were referring to different things in their letters. Um, Engels wanted to show the absurdity of these different prejudices concerning the state, while Marx touched upon the subject only in passing when discussing another subject, namely the development of communist society. Oh. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm also going to add my own editorial and say Engels was kind of trying to reframe or rebrand the worker state as something very distinctive from the bourgeois state that should probably be called something else. But the basic concepts that they are espousing are the same. So I'm going to quote Lenin some, some now, because I think he, uh, he sums up Marxism pretty well here when he says, the whole theory of Marx is the application of the theory of development in its most consistent, complete, considered, and pithy form, to modern capitalism. Right? Naturally, Marx was faced with the problem of applying this theory both to the forthcoming collapse of capitalism, very optimistic there, and to the future development of future communism. Again, not sure if that's a typo. Says future twice in a row, real fast. Uh, but you know what? Future communism sounds cool as hell. So I don't think it's a typo. I'm going to go with it. Because future development requires it to happen after the revolution. The future development is happening later. Yeah. But then communism is also a future thing. So I don't think it, I think it, I think that's not a typo. Sure. So future communism stays. Future development of future communism. Hell yeah. Gonna, you know, cut it, print it. That's the final version. Put it on a put it on a sticker, folks. Future communism. ELC <laughs> approved, folks. Sure, sure. Um, so then he asks, on the basis of what facts then can the question of the future development of future communism be dealt with? Okay, he said it twice. I guess he meant to do that. He meant what he said, Jamie. <laughs> he meant what he said. Okay. And re remember, remember, he's like, this is this is a science. I need to very much make the case that Marxism is a science, the immortal science, in fact. We're doing some science here. And he's not just doing flights of fancy like the utopians, all right? Yeah, he's not, he's not being like, yo, bro, would it be like really cool if we just 
didn't work, bro. Yeah, he's like, no, yo, yo, this is science, bro. Okay, so he's like, like Marx is just he's like reading Marx, and and, he, and he's just like he's just like uh, uh, Jesse Pinkman's like, yeah, science, <laughs> magnets, science, yeah, bitch. What does he say? Something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, quote. To quote Lenin, on the basis of the fact that it has its origin in capitalism, that it develops historically from capitalism, that it is the result of the action of a social force to which capitalism gave birth. There is no trace of an attempt on Marx's part to make up a utopia, to indulge in idle guesswork about what cannot be known. Marx treated the question of communism in the same way as a naturalist would treat the question of the development of, say, a new biological variety once he knew that it had originated in such and such a way and was changing in such and such a definite direction. That's pretty fire, though, if you think about it. Like, you just said it like, in such a nice way. Oh, well, thank you. Like, yo, this is science. Once again, it's like there's no difference between Marx and a scientist studying a fucking organism, okay? It's, it's true, though. I mean, like, we joke on this podcast quite a bit about how there's an over-dogmatism among people who identify as Marxists. We're kind of, you know, taking a little bit of a joke among to our fellow Marxists. But, you know, in this capacity, I think it's hard not to kind of walk away thinking that there is something there in terms of like the way Marx analyzed things. I'm going to go with it's more of a science than the anti-communists would have you believe. Yeah. But it's less of a science than the hard sciences. It's the social science. Which, you know, well, I'll as, take it. As a man of science, Jamie, <laughs> I don't think that there's any, I, I don't agree with this lessening of the social science and the hard sciences. Okay, well, we can agree to disagree. That's fine. Um, I mean, look, part of science it, that he's kind of leaving out is testing out your hypothesis. So, yeah, on one level, they're doing scientific observations. They're, they're creating hypotheses from that. Um, but on a different level, like, no, like, if you re scientists are constantly trying to prove themselves wrong, right. Testing out their hypotheses over and over again. And they had not done that yet. I think they, uh, I think they did it a little bit. And I think we've seen it play out throughout, uh, the last hundred or so years in various ways. And I think the results have been inconclusive at best, more study needed, more revs needed. Let's try it again. Coming to you soon. To a podcast platform to you soon is Mar is Marxism a science by ELC. <laughs> Stay Ooh. tuned, folks. We we could get a panel on that, yeah. Um, oh, goddamn cats. Anyway, I've got these papers all over the floor because I'm uh, I don't know I'm messy, <laughs> and the cats are just fucking them up. This is what I was referring to in terms of I need help. You know, I'm stuck in this room and there's papers <laughs> everywhere and there's scribblings and then just like there's yeah. a bunch of pictures put on against the wall. And like she just like has this list and she's checking it twice. Yeah, I have a murder wall. It's true. Um, like Charlie and it's always sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> you know that meme? I'm like, yo, this is science, bro. I figured it out. I figured it all out. Um, that's what that's what Lennon's doing here, too. So... <laughs> Yeah, he's got his murder wall. He's got it. He's ready to go. So he says, to begin with, 
Marx brushed aside the confusion the Gotha program brought into the question of the relationship between state and society. He wrote, and now he's going to quote at length from his favorite guy, Marx, because he's doing science. Um, Part of this quote, I'm not sure if it really needs to be here, but I'm going to read it anyway. Okay. Everyone's a critic. Sorry. It's just a fact. (laughs) Um, Present day society, writes Marx, is capitalist society, which exists in all civilized countries, being more or less free from medieval admixture, more or less modified by the particular historical development of each country, more or less developed. On the other hand, the present day state changes with a country's frontier. It is different in the Prusso-German Empire from what it is in Switzerland and different in New England from what it is in the United States. The present day state is therefore a fiction. Not quite sure where he's going with this, but I'm going to stay with him here. Um, That makes sense, right? Capitalism is everywhere. So you can refer to present day society as capitalist society synonymously. Yeah. And I think the other thing too, when he says present day state is like, when it being a fiction is like, well, I mean, at the end of the day, like these borders are just all made up, right? Well, that is definitely true. Yeah. And, you know, changes from place to place, depending how much of an empire they have and what's going on. Right. So he says, nevertheless, the different states of the different civilized countries, in spite of their motley diversity of form, all have this in common, that they are based on modern bourgeois society, only one more or less capitalistically developed. They have, therefore, also certain essential characteristics in common. In this sense, it is possible to speak of the, quote, present day state in contrast with the future in which its present root, bourgeois society, will have died off. Uh, I think he's getting out in front of charges of idealism here as well, saying, you know, this is what I have observed about the state. Therefore, this is what I'm basing my hypothesis on. He's trying to beat the charges, Jamie. Yeah, exactly. So the question then arises. What transformation will the state undergo in communist society? Mm. In other words, what social functions will remain in existence there that are analogous to present state functions? This question can only be answered scientifically, said the magic word again. Wee woo, wee woo. (laughs) And one does not get a flea hop nearer to the problem by a thousand fold combination of the word people with the word state. Damn. He's like, don't be saying people state. Like it gets you away from actually doing shit about it. Yeah, which I agree with. Um, although I feel like Engels kind of did that, but that's all right. Yeah, maybe he's doing like a like a like a super low key diss to to Engels. Oh God! Like just a slight pushback. Maybe, maybe. Um, so here's Lenin again. He said, after thus ridiculing all talk about a quote people's state. I mean, I guess it's kind of true that Engels wants to not call it a state. So on that level, yeah. <laughs> on that level, they agree. Um, Marx formulated the question and gave warning, as it were, that those seeking a scientific answer to it should use only firmly established scientific data. Where is the data? Like, bro, once again, this is science. All right. Did I mention that this is science? Folks. I'm doing science. It's science. <laughs> Cooking up in the lab. <laughs> the communism lab. Yeah. Put on your lab coats. Uh, okay. 
So he says the first fact that has been established most accurately by the whole theory of development, by science as a whole, a fact that was ignored by the utopians and is ignored by the present day opportunists who are afraid of the socialist revolution. He's talking about the suck Dems and the anarchists here. That wasn't clear. As he's mentioned many times, but to be clear, (laughs) if you didn't hear it the first time or the second or the 10th time, we're telling it to you again. Yeah. He says, um, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Fact that was ignored is that historically there must undoubtedly be a special stage or a special phase of transition from capitalism to communism. Mm. So what do we think about this? Well, he's definitely setting it up for something, you know, clearly. Yeah. What I find interesting about this section is that he introduces a terminology that he had not ever introduced ever in this in this book so far, which is this idea of theory of development, which I find quite interesting. Yeah. Because it's like he's trying to kind of suggest that what we're trying to go towards in terms of developing towards communism is something much more exact, precise, rigorous, and scientific. Yeah, I mean, I like the part about how, you know, communism is the end goal. We got to keep our eyes on the prize. And you know what? I agree. Like, yeah, there has to be a fucking transition, right? Like, this is one of those places where I think Lenin is kind of vague enough that it's hard for any anti-capitalist to really disagree. Mm Because I know, like, you can't just flip a switch and go from capitalism to communism. Uh, And, you know, contrary to what he says in certain parts, no anarchist believes that either. Um, Like, everybody knows it's going to take a real struggle to overthrow the bourgeoisie, develop a self-directed economy, really, where workers have control over their own destiny and the means of production. I wouldn't say nobody. I wouldn't say nobody. Okay. Well, nobody that I would respect. (laughs) Let's just say that. If you... I've seen takes you people wouldn't believe. (laughs) (laughs) Fair, fair. Um, Yeah, I mean, the thing the anarchists disagree with is that that transitional dick prole or whatever has to take the form of this centralized one-party state. But he's not talking about that yet here, so I agree with most of what he said. Wow, Jamie. (laughs) And, um, yeah, the science talk, I guess... uh, I guess it makes me feel a little better when people are like, you stupid communists living in fantasy land. Right. Right. Um, but I, I got to bring it back to this, to, to the testing of the hypothesis and their hypothesis being this, uh, this transitional phase of state socialism that ultimately withers away and leads to communism. I think the results have been inconclusive at best, but let's see what he has to say in the next part, because maybe he will convince me. I mean, I'm, for one, a big fan of the science talk. You know, Jamie lo- knows I love my math because I'm a big old nerd. Mm-hmm. Um, Facts. But anyway, let's talk about the second section of this chapter. Yeah, because the first section is already done. Yeah. What the fuck, Lennon? Why you got to write your sections such wildly different lengths? Well, this next section is a big one, though. I'm ready. The transition from capitalism to communism. That's a big one. That's a big title if you think about it. But we're, uh, we're like, that's like a big thing if you think like to theorize about. That is 
I mean, that's the only thing as far as I'm concerned. That's that's what we're all that's why we're all here. I mean, that's certainly why I'm here. Certainly why I'm here, too. So in this section, I don't like to work. Let's speed it up. I mean, I like to work, but I don't (laughs) like to I don't like to work on. I don't like to work outside of my own decision making. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, I like, you know, I like doing some shit. We got to do, but we, the, and Lena will go into this, but we wanted to make a society such that labor is life's prime want. That sounds so nice. That we just want to do stuff, but because we want to do it. I'm so down. How um, do we get there? Well, Jamie, in this section, as the title suggests, Lennon wishes to theorize how it is we transition from Capitalism to, wait for it, folks, communism. Communism. Flap, flap, flap. Pew, 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 pew. Get your memes ready. You're like, mm-mm. They said the, they said the name of the podcast. <laughs> they said the thing. <laughs> he begins the section with a quote from Marx. You know, quote is, between capitalist and communist society lies the period of the revolutionary transformation of the one into the other. Corresponding to this, is also a political transition period in which the state can be nothing but the revolutionary dictatorship of the proletariat. That's the end of the quote. With the inclusion of this quote, Lenin wants to make clear the form the state takes on during this transition from capitalism to communism is what we now have been talking about for several episodes at this point, the dictatorship of the proletariat. That's this transitional phase. Also known as dick prol, which is the cool short way that I like to say it. Dick prol. Write it down. Put it, <laughs> put it in your notes. Print it out. Whatever you want to do, just make sure. Put it on your fridge for your mom to see. Whatever you want. Remember it. The cool kids are doing it. Lennon presents a demarcation here with what is the subject matter of his discussion. Now, in previous chapters... We have focused on how the proletariat achieves power. You know, how do we, all right, we do the thing, the thing that Jamie always talks about, you know. Do the thing. So we have focused on how that has occurred, which Lenin states as, quote, to achieve its emancipation, the proletariat states, sorry, to achieve its emancipation, the proletariat must overthrow the bourgeoisie, win political power, and establish its revolutionary dictatorship. That's in the quote. This, we already know. We've been talking about this. However, our discussion in this section is different. Given the proletariat has achieved power in society, how is it then we transition from a capitalist society to a communist society? Lenin suggests such a development, quote, is impossible without a political transition period, and the state in this period can only be the revolutionary dictatorship of the proletariat, end quote. The dictatorship of the proletariat represents both the proletariat in power and the vehicle the proletariat uses to transform society into a communist society, as Lenin puts it. I have a question. So uh, when he says that the transitional state, whatever you want to call it, Uh can be nothing but the dictatorship of the proletariat, 
Do you think he means that it's necessarily going to play out that way or simply that it must play out that way if it's going to lead to communism? I think he's saying the latter. Fair enough. I agree. Like it has to be both. Uh, you need to have that to occur for there to be communism because, and you'll get into it in the later, later section, but he's, this, he's basically saying it's this, there I say, there's just two things occurring. It's, there is these dialectical occur, occurring in terms of why there needs to be the dictatorship of the proletariat. It's both a being, which is the workers are in power in terms of the state, but then also becoming. It's becoming this other society. It's getting rid of itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I agree with that, right? I mean, even the anarchists believe the struggle withers away as you win. But the devil's in the details of how that's going to go. So let's... Let's see what else he's got to say. Yeah, let's not, let's not delay to it, because we're getting there. We have spoken plenty about this dictatorship of the proletariat, this dick prole, but what then is the relationship of this dictatorship to democracy? This is a quote from Lenin. Lenin makes note how the Communist Manifesto simply states that this you know, state form, whatever you want to call it, is simply the proletariat as the ruling class and... Winning the Battle of Democracy. These are two quotes from the Communist Manifesto. But does not really elaborate how these two interact with one another, which is fair. There's not much discussion about that in the manifesto because the political pamphlet, but Lenin's trying to work through it. So first, Lenin presents the reality of so-called democracy in capitalist society. He, and this is a really interesting point. We're going to go on an interesting path right now. Lenin admits there is a more or less complete democracy in a democratic republic in many countries. Very interesting point from Lenin, if you think about it. Yeah. Providing such a society developed under the most favorable conditions. So if you're like a Western European country or the United States, he will say, yes, you have a complete democracy. What do you mean by that? Well... Lenin goes on to go on that point. However, quote, this democracy is always hemmed in by capitalist exploitation and consequently always remains, in effect, a democracy for the minority, only for the property classes, only for the rich. And coming up is probably one of my favorite lines that I have just in just period. It's so well said. Pay attention, everybody. Freedom in capitalist society always remains about the same as it was in the ancient Greek republics. Freedom for the slave owners. Boom. Owing to the condition of capitalist exploitation, the modern wage slaves are so crushed by want and poverty that they cannot be bothered with democracy, cannot be bothered with politics. In the ordinary peaceful course of events, the majority of the population is debarred from participation in public and political life. So, to your question, Jamie, that's what he means. Fair enough. Yeah, I was like, well, is he talking about bourgeois democracy or real democracy? Because as we know, 
there's no real true widespread democracy without economic democracy. All um, right. Even if every single person is allowed to vote, even if every single person is required to vote on, you know, who's going to be in control of mm -hmm. the government. Right. Um, if they don't get a say in their workplace, that's not democracy. And I think that's kind of the point that it's going towards that. And something that he mentioned previously in the last chapter is that the you can kind of see the contours of, of you know of sorts of the what a total complete democracy or total democratic society would look like because it actually in many ways would not be so different from our own society, but the way it plays out would be dramatically different. Because in the way that institutions are set up would also be dramatically different. Because the point that Lenin's going towards is the fact that, you know, if you're rich in many of the capitalist countries, well, you, yeah, you have a, you, you have a democratic society. You can just, you have freedom of speech. You can say whatever you, 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 you want. You can, you have freedom of, of movement, assembly. You know, people care about your interests. People, you know... You feel like you're participating because you're, 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 you're easy, you can easily access your representatives. But that's exactly what he means by bourgeois democracy. Because, and it has to do with that quote that I mentioned before, I'll read it again, is that freedom in capitalist society always remains the same as it was in the ancient Greek republics, freedom for the slave owners. The point here is that when you think about ancient Athens, like, you know, the so-called, you know, origin of democracy in the West. All, there were, you know, direct democracy, but that was such a small sliver of society. Mm -hmm. And, but the thing is, for those people, they had, you know, they felt, you know, actualized. They felt they were, you know, truly had failed participation, but, you know, don't, don't, don't talk about their wives. Don't talk about their slaves. Don't, no, don't worry about that. Yeah, no. And this is, this is a problem he's showing that, it's not unique to capitalism. It's, I think, arises with class society. Yeah, that's, and that's, that's why I think the quote is also, in many, in many ways that him phrasing it that way is, you know, just such a wonderful way to put it because it shows it's connecting those two moments in history. Mm -hmm. But, you know, also got to mention, for the vast majority of our history as a species, yep. this was not the case. Yep. Class society came along relatively recently in, you know, if you want to look at things in a geological time or, or the, the grand, you know, the entire course of since we evolved from, I mean, at least even biological, biological time. Like, yeah. That's, I said geologic. I mean, yeah, I guess the earth is much older than human beings. One but, could say, you know, for our history as a species, this is, uh, it's, it's not natural folks. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a whole other conversation, I think. But the point, sure, sure. But, but the point being is that this is something that the we like to think that we're so modern, we're so new. But if that is so true in terms of you know looking at say democracy, why is it that democracy existed such so far? You know, some some a time so long ago we call it the ancient world. Maybe it has something to do with that. It's not so hard to come up with that idea. It's rather just how you implement it. And it's not, you don't need no fancy computers or airplanes or even like recording devices to have democracy. 
That's right. It's just a matter of, look, and we're going to, here it is, folks, material conditions. <sighs> Go on. To provide, to provide a historical example of this theoretical discussion we've been having, Lenin points to the growth of the workers' movement in Germany from 1871 to 1914 as led by the Social Democratic Party. During this period, the SPD organized a larger proportion of the workers into a political party than anywhere else in the world. So this is what Lenin's saying. Now, how large are we talking? According to Lenin, there were one million members of the SPD, which is quite large given that there were 15 million workers in Germany at that time. Additionally, the SPD organized 3 million workers into trade unions. However, it is also important to note, this is still quite a small portion of people who are actively participating in a, in a democ- in workers' democracy and an emancipatory movement. So in truth, Lenin states, quote, democracy for an insignificant majority, democracy for the rich, that is the democracy of capitalist society, unquote. So, and furthermore, quote, if we look into the machinery of capitalist democracy, which includes who gets to vote and not vote, you know, at this time, women were not excluded, were, were, were excluded from voting, but, you know, if you look at our own society, say in the United States, people who have been to prison don't get to vote. People who aren't citizens get, don't get to vote. So if you look at, you know, who gets to vote. Black people, they don't get to vote. That's true. In terms of those who have been to prison. You know, it's like, and, and... Making all these laws saying who gets to vote. Yeah. No, I mean, it's like, so if we look into... So the point, to, to go into what we're going on, going on right now, it's like Lenin is telling us, if we look into even how democracy happens in our society, like the way, the, the mechanisms of sorts. Even bourgeois democracy. No, no, but that's what, that's what he's saying. Yeah. But it's like, you know, how these representative institutions operate, like basically Congress parliament how those are constituted quote the actual obstacles to the right of assembly you know if you're you know if you're a bunch of homeless people or people who who would be identified as such or kind of what jamie was saying if you're of this group that's visibly determined to not be part or just part of like the other of sort or the underclass you know there's like oh what's going on here what's going on here like you know the the police will break it up this is known as uh What's the word I'm looking for? Like when someone's just like standing around and they, and then it's like a, you're breaking the law because you're standing around and have nowhere to be. Loitering? Yeah. That's why loitering laws exist. Mm-hmm. They don't want people to just be, well, why are you just existing? Well, it's like, why well, I can't just stand here? Existing while proletarian. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. You think they tell that to people who are just in like, you know, have their bourgeois outfit, i.e., you know, like suit and tie on? Mm-mm. No. How the press is almost entirely capitalist owned. Facts. Then we will see restrict then we see restriction after restriction upon democracy. Lenin observes how, quote, these restrictions, exemptions, exclusions, obstacles for the poor seem slight. And he makes a note that slight for those who come from a bourgeois background and never had a lack of anything. But in their sum total. 
Their restrictions exclude and squeeze out the poor from politics, from active participation in democracy. End of quote. Yeah, I mean, that's still true. Look at the proportion of Americans that don't vote and look at how um, that breaks down. The single biggest determining factor as to whether or not someone is a regular voter is their income level. Makes you think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're, if you're not politicized, or even if you are, and you have seen what's gone on in this country for years and years and nothing changes, you're like, why do I care? Nothing's going to change. Yeah. At least no one's, nothing's going to change through these institutions. Uh, that is a fair point. Like, even if you are politicized, you're like, well, why the fuck should I vote? Mm-hmm. It's not like you'd think if I put this person here or this person that, like, it's not going to just, it's just going to change. Yeah, no, you're choosing which member of the ruling class is going to rule over you. Cool. So Great democracy you got there. Everything henceforth discussed is exactly and precisely why Mark spent as much time as he did analyzing, cataloging, detailing, and deliberating the experience of the commune, kind of like what we did also before with our miniseries. And he succinctly grasped the, quote, essence of capitalist democracy when he said the oppressed are allowed once every few years to decide which representative of the oppressing class shall represent and repress them in parliament. Well, I really stepped on his line just now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he said it better. But, and then, you know, kind of what we said in the previous section where we're discussing, when London talked about forward development as something necessary in developing towards communism, he notes that from a capitalist society... Such forward development, quote, does not proceed simply, directly, and smoothly towards greater and greater democracy, as the liberal professors and petty bourgeois opportunists would have us believe. It's not, oh, just more democracy. You know, and this is an interesting point, too, because this also applies to so much rhetoric regarding foreign policy in in terms of the United States, that liberals, foreign policy, no, we have to care about maintaining Spreading democracy across the world, or if a country becomes developed, that means they become democratic. That's why so many um, foreign policy analysts were mystified, were just perplexed by, say, China, for instance. Like, oh, China developed more economically with like markets, but never became more liberal or democratic, so to, in terms of by their standards. And they're like, what? And they, they don't even understand their own fucking system. No. Got to bring in that international perspective. I like it. Well, I mean, it's just like it. That's it's on my mind now, given like you know all these lies regarding Russia and Ukraine. But let's not get into it. Yeah, that's a that's a problem for another day. Well, actually, it will never be a problem because Russia will never invade Ukraine. But that's not another, that's another mm-hmm. thing. I mean, yeah, the thing I always like to bring up is like. Yeah, the U.S. foreign policy affects everybody in the world. Does everybody in the world get to vote for our government? No. Fuck no. So that doesn't seem very democratic to me. And, you know, if you think about it, the U.S. president is an example, and the U.S. in the U.S. in the global stage is also its own global bourgeois democracy because only the elites of the world get to vote who's the emperor of the world. Fair point. Because you think... People in Afghanistan got to choose who, you know, whether it was Joe Biden or Donald Trump that, that was put into power and then 
took half their fucking state 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 bank's money? They did not. No. But um, both those guys are bad. Yes. So maybe it doesn't even matter. Well, I mean, that's kind of why I said those examples. <laughs> but, but, bringing us back to the text. As we have discussed before, there already exists the elements of a complete democracy under a bourgeois liberal democratic republic. Rather, forward development from a capitalist society to a communist society must proceed, and this is a quote from Lenin, proceed through the dictatorship of the proletariat and cannot do otherwise, for the resistance of the capitalist exploiters cannot be broken by anyone else or in any other way. End of quote. This latter point of defending the revolution and what forward development has created, has developed towards communism, is an important one. We've talked about this before when we originally introduced the dictatorship of the proletariat, but it's going to go for more into it now in terms of how this ties into both protecting what we have and then keeping your eye on the prize, as we've said before. The dictatorship of the proletariat cannot persist by simply expanding democracy. While democracy expands immensely for the people and the poor, the dictatorship of the proletariat must, quote, impose a series of restrictions on the freedom of the oppressors, the exploiters, the capitalists. We must oppress them in order to free humanity from wage slavery. Their resistance must be crushed by force. It is clear that there is no freedom and no democracy where there is oppression and where there is violence. End of quote. This reasoning by Lenin is further underlined by a reference to what Engels told Bebel that, quote, the proletariat needs the state, not in the interest of freedom, but in order to hold down its adversaries and as soon as it becomes possible to speak of freedom, the state as such ceases to exist, end of quote. The change democracy undergoes during the transition from capitalism to communism, according to Lenin, is democracy for the vast majority of people and Suppression by force of the exploiters and oppressors of the people. Did you have a question, Amy? No, I'm uh, I'm I'm on board. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah, you're like you're <laughs> like you're like no 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 pushbacks for me. No, I only push back when um, he's like, and that's why we need a centralized um, one party state that tells all the workers what to do. And puts all the anarchists in jail. <laughs> but he's not saying that here. He's only saying stuff I agree with. So he goes on to say, only in a communist society, when there is no more resistance from capitalists, when classes have been abolished, only then can, quote, the state cease to exist and become possible to speak of freedom, end of quote. Only in a communist society will, quote, a truly complete democracy become possible and be realized, a democracy without any exceptions, whatever, end of quote. Only in a communist society will, and it's a longer quote, and it's a really interesting one, democracy begin to wither away, owing to the simple fact that freed from capitalist slavery, from the untold horrors, savagery, absurdities and infamies of capitalist exploitation, people 
will gradually become accustomed to observing the elementary rules of social intercourse that have been known for centuries and repeated for thousands of years in all copybook maxims, end of quote. So what he's saying is, only this generation of humanity, finally freed from class society, will become accustomed to observing the social customs and traditions expected of a society, free from oppression and coercion, and do so, quote, without force, without coercion, without subordination, without the special apparatus for coercion called the state, end of quote. This is precisely why the expression, the state withers away, is chosen because it is meant to illuminate this gradual and all at once spontaneous nature of the process. So, okay, what's he talking about here? That when he's talking about the elementary rules of social intercourse, is it like following the golden rule? Yeah, I think so. You know, so. like do unto others. Yeah. Uh, everyone, everyone's got to cooperate and respect each other so we can have a nice life. Yeah, basically like, I think what he's saying is that things like that or like manners and, and other other kind of expectations that many people like vaguely know or at least many people who have been tra trained or like been socialized into know that that is probably the better way to interact with people in general but there are many reasons why that that is not the case and you know he does actually go more into it as well and in fact this next quote kind of goes to your point yeah like how do we do that sounds great I agree. Um, how do we affect such a paradigm shift? Well, glad you asked, Jamie. Quote, only habit can, and undoubtedly will, have such an effect. For we see around us on millions of occasions how readily people become accustomed to observing the necessary rules of social intercourse when there is no exploitation, when there is nothing that arouses indignation, evokes protest and revolt, and creates the need for suppression, end of quote. So what he's saying is like, people will become so used to treating everyone as they are, and, you know, as, you know, brethren, sisters, siblings, you know, as other members of the human race, people are just so used to doing that, and there's not even like a doubt that, think about how how kind, uh, you know, and many children are and they don't they don't they don't know about say they don't have they don't have bigotry in their mind or things of that nature those are learned behaviors so what he's saying is like those behaviors that you kind of have coming into the world you don't unlearn them yeah children though they're a real mixed bag oh <laughs> for sure but what he's getting at is like you know but the other well, thing you know we teach them like the, the values that we teach children in school are pretty socialist. If you think about it, you know, like the things that like, you don't have to be communist to think that, you know, following the golden rule is something that you should do to be a good person. Right. Um, it's only when they grow up and they have to live in capitalism where it's like, Oh wait, but not really though. It's interesting because, you know, people say like, oh, well, geez, like there's like there's like a transition of like, there's like that meme of like dumb, br like 
dumb, like small brain. The expanding brain meme. Is there small brain, normal brain, and a big brain? I still like that meme. I tried to do a version of that recently, and people told me I was being like a cringe elder millennial. But the fact that you're referencing it makes me think that it's still cool. Well, the one I was thinking of is that there's a new variation on it, which is like, it's like a bell curve, and it's like small brain, Medium, like normal brain and a big brain and the, the point is like the the smaller brain and the big brain have the same take it's like the one the, what i want to what i'm going to say is basically like it's like jesus is a socialist that's like a dumb brain mm-hmm. like jesus was a communist no jesus was not a communist because it was before capitalism in fact if you're going to go into it it's like and just start just like wall of text big brain jesus was a communist because he was about end of class society Hell yeah. You know, I talked about this exact thing with the guy from Eve 6 yesterday, oh, believe yeah? it or not. Interesting. Because he was doing Interesting you're Jesus dating this tweets. episode, Jamie, and you're dating the episode you recorded yesterday. Sorry. <laughs> I, You know, I'm three podcasts deep into this week. I'm just going to tell people the truth. Wow. <laughs> but interesting things to keep in mind. Very... Very fascinating language from Lenin. You know, someone who's typically so single-minded tracked in terms of the way he writes and thinks about things. He's kind of, you know, showing a little bit of his humanity here, which yeah. is which is nice. Yeah. So, keep going. Thus, we are able to contrast how, in a capitalist society, democracy there is one which, you know, so we're able to contrast how in a capitalist society, the democracy there is one which is, quote, curtailed, wretched, false, a democracy only for the rich, for the minority. End of quote. So then the dictatorship of the proletariat, this transitional period from capitalism to communism, will, and there's a quote from Lenin, will for the first time create democracy for the people, for the majority, along with the necessary suppression of the exploiters of the minority. End of quote. Now, given capitalist society is democracy for the few and the dictatorship of the proletariat is a state allowing for democracy, for a democracy of the many, then, and it's like a longer quote, communism alone is capable of providing really complete democracy and the more complete it is and this is a really interesting point the sooner it will become unnecessary and wither away of its own accord yes democracy itself in other words under capitalism we have the state in the proper sense of the word that is a special machinery sorry a special machine for the suppression of one class by another and what is more of the majority by the minority so that's really interesting what he's saying about the democracy itself will just wither away. It's an interesting idea. I think, and it's tied to what we were talking about before in terms of the habits. It's like if everyone's just doing what you do to maintain all of society, why do you need to vote on things? It's like, could you imagine? It's like imagine someone meeting someone who's in the from a, in the future from in the lives in a communist society. And they, they meet, they interact, just even in you, they're here, and they see you interacting with your friends to decide, where do you want to go to eat? It's like, well, why are you, what are you doing? It's like, oh, we're voting on it. 
why do you need to do that if you don't you just know what to do? Yeah. I mean, that's a good way to think about it, right? Because if you're in a, if you're in a, like a personal relationship yeah. with some, some friends, some folks, mm-hmm. uh, you're a lot less likely. I mean, it could still happen mm-hmm. in, you know, if it's necessary, right. if you just can't fucking agree, yeah, yeah. but it makes a lot more sense to get together and just like talk amongst yourselves and decide on an option that works for everyone. Yeah, you just do it. Or, you know, I- even in terms of like work getting done, um, I think it was, who was it? I'm going to fuck up what lady said this. So <laughs> it was, it was in DSA polyed. Uh, God, citation needed. Um, but she compared, uh, the way that we could organize work in a communist society to how people living together might organize the housework, you know, like you don't need, was it Nancy Fraser? That's what I was going to say. I think it was Nancy. Um, like you don't need, a you know, a centralized authority telling you all what to do. You just need to work it out. And, you know, maybe it's a chore wheel. Make sure everything gets done. Maybe it's whatever you guys come up with. But the point is that you work it out together. You just, you just do it. You don't need to like elect a representative to uh, to advocate your position. What we're saying is that communism is a vibes based eco- economic and political society. Yeah, sure. It's just vibes. Vibes run the world, and it's great. I'm I'm ready to vibe. So. Lenin does ground us, however, and so it's hard to, like, be a little serious here for a minute. By not trying to minimize what horrors lie ahead of us in this transitional period, for the transition to be successful, we must have suppression of the minority, of the bourgeoisie, of the capitalist, by the majority, by the proletariat, by the workers. However, this suppression is significantly less than the suppression which existed before in society because, quote, the systematic suppression of the exploited majority by the exploiting minority calls for the utmost ferocity and savagery in the manner of suppressing. It calls for seas of blood through which mankind is actually waiting its way in slavery, serfdom, and wage labor, end of quote. The only way such a suppression can be accomplished is with something we call the state. As we have mentioned so many times before, such a state is, according to Lenin, no longer a state in the proper sense of the word for the suppression of the minority of exploiters by the majority of the wage slaves of yesterday is comparatively so easy, simple, and natural a task, though it will entail far less bloodshed than the suppression of the risings of slaves, serfs, and wage laborers, and it will cost mankind far less. You know... I want to believe that that's true. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think it's somewhat in the aggregate. I think of all history. I mean, I think it, it is true that the status quo is incredibly violent and bloody, mm-hmm. and will only get to be more so as uh, capitalism spirals into further and further crises. Uh, neoliberalism uh, is collapsing all around the world, and you know. Uh, the old world is dying. A new world struggles to be born. What do you mean, Jimmy? We're we're, we're going back to normal. We're going back. Oh, yeah. we're, we're going back to normal, everybody. <laughs> I mean, I guess what I'm saying and what he's saying here is the only way out is through. And it's going to, if you want to use a utilitarian argument, right? 
um, yeah, we're going to have a lot of, uh, it's going to be really hard. It's going to be a hard struggle. It's going to suck in the short term, but in the long term, it will be worth it because it will save humankind from even more suffering in the aggregate. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of his argument basically. Now to kind of go back to what we're talking about and we're pretty close to finishing the extension of democracy will be expected will be expanded. Sorry. Will be expanded to such an overwhelming majority that eventually this special machine of suppression will disappear. Only communism makes the state altogether unnecessary because there will be no one to suppress quote, nobody in the sense of a class of a systematic struggle against a definite section of the population. End of quote. Lenin is clear to point out, everything we have discussed regarding this transition from capitalism to communism and democracy is not a utopian point of view. There is no denial of, quote, the possibility and inevitability of excesses on the part of individual persons or the need to stop such excesses. Excess is kind of like what we were talking about before. There are certain social expectations of how you treat somebody. Like, then, don't hoard all the resources. Yeah, things like that. Yeah. Um, don't just slack off and expect everyone else to do all the work. Right. Because you don't fucking feel like it. Yeah, it's like, you know, if you don't do all the... If, if one person is doing the dishes all the time, sorry if so, that person is starting to be like, yo, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Like, we're not saying that that will never happen. Yeah. But... The difference is, at first... There will be no need for a, quote, special apparatus of suppression. In other words, the state to mitigate this. The people themselves will do their part in involving themselves in ending such excesses. Excesses, Much like, quote, any crowd of civilized people, even in modern society, interferes to put a stop to a scuffle or to prevent a woman from being assaulted. End of quote. Second, we do know the primary cause of why people violate these rules of social intercourse, and that is, quote, the exploitation of the people, their want, and their poverty, end of quote. If this primary cause no longer exists, then people's excessive behaviors will also begin to, folks, wither away. Lenin makes a prediction as to how long or how successful it will be during this transition, but he is sure these behaviors will, sorry, he does not make a prediction. He says, we do not know. He says he does not know. He's like, how uh, quickly yeah. and in what succession? Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't know. He doesn't know that. Sorry. But he is sure these behaviors will wither away. If these behaviors also wither away, then so will the state. We conclude this section by looking toward the other half of this chapter, by considering how, and at the end of the quote, the quote at the end of the section. Marx defined more fully what can, what can be defined now regarding the future, namely the differences between the lower and higher phases, levels, stages, whatever you want to call it, of communist society, end of quote. And the next two sections will be on the lower and higher phase, stage, level, whatever, of communism. Wow, that was a really good ending. And I feel like I'm about to fuck it up because you were on such a roll that I forgot to ask the question that I wrote down. What's your question, Jamie? And I'm Jamie? sorry. Okay. Um, well, okay. 
uh, he's talking about, right, how everyone will just get together and stop people from being assholes, uh-huh. basically, uh, via, you know, their, in, I don't know, how do I say this? Um, <laughs> they're going to they're gonna stop in communism, right? Yes. People are going to just keep other people from being assholes. Right. How is this different from the worker state that he's been describing? Because it seems in parts... He describes the worker state as being purely the people using some kind of organized force. Well, Jamie, what's wonderful about the question you've asked is that he answers it in the next two sections. So you and the audience can stay tuned. Oh, boy. Wow. That was a good answer. And I'm not lying. He does does address that. Yeah, I read it. I just, um, you know, I got to ask. And now people at home will be at the edge of their seats. But before we go, if you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe on patreon.com slash everybody loves communism. And maybe we'll read your name on the top of the show. Yes. And or if you want to pay just a little bit less, go to fans.fm slash everybody loves communism. And as we said before, if you like what you heard, Five stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hell yeah. And we've got a lot of uh, cool premium content yeah. planned for all you all you special subscribers yeah. out there in Radio Land. Yeah, all you fans out there. If you want to be a super fan, be sure to subscribe and be able to listen to episodes on we have in, the, in Behind the Paywall with Leslie Lee of Struggle Session, you know. Of, um, Talk about the I Love Lucy movie. Yep. And how bad it was. It was pretty bad. Don't watch it. Just subscribe to our Patreon so you can listen to our episode about it. With Jake. Also, we have an episode with Jake Flores. On the movie Don't Look Up. Yeah. And how, how he made a take that was so controversial we had to have him on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and we've got some really cool ones coming up. Yes. I'm really excited about yeah. the one we're doing soon. Next, we're doing that next week, right? Yeah, on Dune. Dune, we're having a. Certain- All you fucking nerds out there are salivating at the mention of Dune. Yeah, and it's going to be with with Edward Obswego. That's the plan that we have, and a special guest that will be announced when it's out. <gasps> oh boy! It's going to be good, a secret. Good teaser. I like that. You want to know? You'll find out by. Subscribe to the Patreon or Fans.fm. Hell yeah. But until next time. Do the reading. Do the reading. Boom. <laughs> <laughs>